You see, it's easy when you're struggling to have much to see those who have anything as the problem. And when you have anything, it's easy to see those who don't as the problem. And John here, he writes, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now let me be really clear. I don't think it's healthy for every one of us to give every person who's in need of money money. Because sometimes money makes things worse. But it is healthy for every one of us to see every person who is in need as equally deserving of the love and the dignity and the respect that we have been given by Jesus. And perhaps what is needed is an ear to listen, a kind-hearted word to encourage, a resource just around the corner that we can point people to and direct them to and say, let me help you find what you need. And perhaps sometimes what is needed is to take the coat off your back and give it to someone who's cold. The money in your pocket, someone in need. There's not a right or wrong answer unless the answer is filled with malice and hate. Either direction. Those who have and those who have not, if we hate the other, we are like Cain, willing to kill our brothers and not see what Christ has done in them. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know what brought you here this morning, if it's a place of joy and excitement or a place of pain and sorrow. I don't know the troubles you have walked through this week, but I know in my own life, this week I'm really thankful that he is God. I know in my own burdens and challenges and hardships and joys that I cannot do this on my own. And I hope whatever brought you here today, however you came in, good or bad, I hope that today when you walk out of here, you also know that he is good that he is God and that he is for you always. As we gather together, we often confess our faith in who this God is by using words that for almost 18 or 1900 years, Christians throughout all different cultures and problems and seasons and times have used. Words of the Apostles' Creed to declare this is the God that we believe in. When things are really hard, this is the God we run to. When things are worth celebrating, this is the God who's done it for us. In all things, this is our God, and he is good. Will you join me now in this declaration of our faith? I believe in God, the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. As I mentioned, I I don't know what your week was like this week. Thank you, Steve. But I do know that my week was not what I expected it to be. 
You see, December for pastors is usually really, really busy. I don't know if you know this, but everybody reaches their deductible at the end of the year. And so December is when they have as many surgeries as possible to max out their health insurance. So there's a lot of hospital visits. And then also December is really hard because a lot of people grieve loved ones. And marriage strife gets heightened when you spend time with in-laws. And so December, there's a lot of counseling. And then there's Wednesday night services and Christmas Eve services and all the things of December. So pretty much every year during the month of December, I just plan on working like 65 or 70 hours a week. And then in January, I plan on slowing down and not working quite as much. And I figure I'll meet with more people towards the end of the month. I'll take a few weeks to do things a little slower. And so this week, I set out with a goal. I had mapped out my whole week and I was so excited to get back to meeting with people and counseling those who are hurting and just hearing what God is doing in your life. And I had planned every single night this week, one or two meetings. So it included lots of dinners and lots of drinks. It was going to be a really exciting night. And even I had planned almost every morning this week for my wife to take my kids to school so I could meet with people for coffee or breakfast. I don't know if you know this about me, but if you want to meet with me, my favorite time is when there's food involved. Um, So I was really excited for a very full and busy week doing the thing I love most, connecting with you. And this week did not go that way at all. You see, my youngest, Ezra, you've heard me the last couple weeks pray for him. He has been battling uh, strep throat and then a staph infection just on and off for like a month. And this week, it had not gotten any better after eight days of antibiotics. So my wife took him on Monday back to the doctor who said, well, the reason it's not getting better is it's pneumonia. And she had him admitted to Children's Hospital. And so I spent this week from Monday through Thursday, he's home now and he's mostly doing better. He's still got a ways to go. But I spent this week, day by day, canceling all my meetings and reorganizing my schedule and living on a whole lot of coffee as I bounced between the things I had to do and the places I had to go and trying to get the kids to school and home from school and fed and laundry done. I don't, anybody have a wife at home who does that thing, that stuff and you didn't even know it happened? Like, real blessing. Awesome. And if you don't have that, Uh, I encourage finding that or becoming that. Even as husbands, you can be that for your wife. I want you to know that too, okay? And what I realized this week was not only how much my wife does, but just how limited I am in my own abilities. I had grand plans of all the things I would do, and day after day, I canceled those plans and simply went and took coffee to my wife who slept on the terrible hospital beds that aren't really beds that are like half couches. You know those things in the rooms, right? And day after day, I tried to help my kids get through school and all the stuff, and I was exhausted. But in the midst of all of this week, day after day, people showed up. Said, can we bring you some food? Can we watch your kids? See, I had one meeting on Tuesday I could not cancel and I couldn't miss. And so Brian and Joanne Buck, if you know them, they they agreed to come over and watch my kids. And what I thought was going to be a two-hour meeting was a a four-and-a-half-hour meeting. So Brian was still there at 11.30 Tuesday night to then turn around and go back to work in the morning. Day after day this week, while it was exhausting and hard and filled with all kinds of unexpected challenges, people in this community said, we love you, we're here to care. Maybe you've been in a season like that before where life was really hard and the people in your community around you showed up in that hardship and in that pain and loved you like you didn't even know you needed to be loved. And maybe you've been in that season where life has been really hard and the people you expected to show up let you down. The people you thought would be there were not. When you needed something the most, nobody was there to help. Or maybe even worse, when you needed something the most, instead they hurt you. Why would you be so needy or so desperate? Why would you share this? Just deal with that yourself. That's not my burden to bear. Maybe you've been there and the people that should have cared for you abandon you. See, today we are talking about what it looks like for us as Christians, as the church, to be community. 
And we cannot talk about what it looks like to be community if we only talk about the positive because sometimes we as a community fail each other. Did you know that? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where people share with me, I really love Jesus, but the people who love Jesus, they're my problem. I really love Jesus, but the church, here's the long list of ways the church has hurt me. And I just don't know I can trust it again. See, for all the good that there is in Christian community, there's a whole lot of bad as well. So how do you and I navigate those waters and become the kind of community we hope to see in others? And how do we navigate those waters when things don't go as planned? We're going to begin today in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. In Paul's case here, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul is quite literally in prison, suffering because of the gospel. See, we live in a country where I'm probably never going to jail because I preach about Jesus. But in many times throughout history, in fact, in this time for sure, Christianity was not only not popular, it was dangerous. For if you were a Christian, you were an enemy. And in Paul's case, he is thrown in prison and suffering for the sake of the gospel. And as he writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul, he writes and he gives an encouragement to the people of God. As a prisoner, one who is well acquainted with sorrow and suffering and hardship and pain, as somebody who knows that life is not always good and peaches and roses, let me tell you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which God has given to you. Here in this place, we often talk about come as you are. And what we mean by that is your past and your present and even your ongoing persistent sins, they do not define you. And so we don't have any expectation that when you join us in this place, your life is perfect and put together. But we also believe that God has so much more for you. That he invites you to become somebody altogether new. Paul, he writes, walk in a manner worthy to that which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, if we want to begin with Christian community, if we want to see our community look like Christ, we have to recognize that in order for our community to look like Christ, you and I have to begin to look like Christ. We won't see Christ in our midst if we just see him at a distance and then treat each other with all kinds of harsh anger and hurt and malice and bitterness. You and I, in order to see Christ in our community, have to begin to become like Christ bearing with one another in love. That phrase, one another, is used in the New Testament over a hundred times to describe what life as Christians looks like. And if you go through and you read all of those accounts, let me tell you, being a Christian sucks. The things we have to do for other people, like forgive them when they wrong us and love them when they're our enemy and care for them when they have time of need, I would rather often turn my back and live for me. But to follow after Christ is to do as he has done for us. Paul, he writes, bearing with one another in love. Elsewhere in Galatians, he writes that we should bear one another's burdens. And I like the difference between these two. To bear your burden is to take all of that heavy load upon your shoulders and say, let me help you carry that. You're not alone. But to bear with one another in love, that implies something fundamentally different. Did you know that some of you are really annoying? 
and the ones who are not are also sometimes really annoying? Not because it's you, but because of me. You see, in my sinfulness, and my brokenness, I look at people and I see them for what they're doing or what they've said or what I think they are. Maybe you do too. Every one of us, when we interact with one another, is tempted to see people through what we expect of them or what we hope from them or even what we believe they should be. But when Paul writes, bearing with one another in love, he's calling us to a task that is much harder. You see, in order to create community and to love one another, we have to look at all of the flaws in the person across the table. And we have to see that there's even more in us. And we bear with them not because we're putting up with them, not because we're just hoping to get through it so we can be done with the conversation and have them go on. No, we bear with all of their flaws and their things that just drive us nuts. Anybody in here a Seinfeld fan? Nobody? Am I just aging myself? Okay. Well, I like it. Sorry, guys. I don't watch it much because I don't watch a ton of TV anymore. But uh, there's an episode of Seinfeld where I forget who, but one of them's dating a lady who has these giant hands. And once it's pointed out, all they can see the whole rest of the show is just her big hands and it drives them nuts. All right, you see, that's the way it works for most of us. We might be completely uh, unaware of all the problems in somebody else. But once we see them, it's really hard to unsee them. Paul, he says, look, I urge you to walk in a manner of the calling to which you were called. One in which you bear with one another in love which means we see all of their man hands and their uncomfortable features, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally, their personality that drives us nuts, and we learn to see beyond what is right in front of us for who God has made them to be. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, if you're not familiar with that man, he was a Lutheran theologian in the early 20th century. If you don't know who he is, I encourage you to go and learn about him. One of my heroes of the last 100 plus years. He died in his early 30s at the hands of the Nazis in a concentration camp. But Bonhoeffer repeatedly wrote about what life as Christians looks like. How we live together in such a way that we can see Christ in our every day. This is what he says, one of his quotes in his book, Life Together. A Christian fellowship, that is our community, lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another. Or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for trouble he causes me. His face, that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. See, to bear with one another in love is to learn to embrace each other, not for who we are right now or who we think you should be, but for who Christ says you are. To see all of your faults and your flaws and your brokenness and all of those things that annoy us as worth being redeemed by Jesus. To bear with one another in love requires extreme humility and gentleness. It's only when we first see that my sin is certainly worse than yours. It's only then that we can begin in humility to say, I don't have all the answers. I am not perfect, but I have been given grace that I can give to you as well. Let me patiently bear with all of the struggles over and over and over again as Christ has done for me. We're going to flip to 1 John chapter 3. It's another encouragement by one of the disciples of Jesus, by John himself, who as, as he wrote in his own gospel, the one whom Jesus loved. He was in Jesus' inner circle and close community, the very people Jesus trusted in his most desperate hour of need. And he was one of the very people who abandoned Jesus as he was suffering and dying. John writes this. 
For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John, he references Cain and Abel. If you don't know the story, you have to flip way back to the beginning of the Bible to Genesis chapter 4. And there in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve have just been kicked out of the garden because God wants to rescue them from their sin and does not want them to eat from the tree of life while they remain in a place of brokenness and sorrow. So he removes them from the garden and then they have two children, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel have similar fields of work. One raises sheep and one tends to fields and they bring an offering before God. And for reasons undisclosed in the text, we don't know the difference between Cain or Abel. We don't know why God was pleased with Abel's gift and not pleased with Cain's. But for some reason, Cain's gift was not pleasing to the Lord. And so, Cain in his anger sees his brother with envy and strife, with malice in his heart, with bitterness, with anger that God would be pleased with him and not the other way around. And Cain decides to put his brother to death. And there's this famous line that you've probably heard in other contexts that comes after this. God, after Abel is killed, comes to Cain and says, what have you done with Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Like, is it my job to care about my brother and his well-being? Let him do his thing. It doesn't really matter. And then God calls out Cain and says, because of what you've done, the blood of your brother is calling out from the ground. Because of what you've done, you will be cursed in your life. The way you treated your brother has brought great pain on you. John here, he says, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. See, when it comes to Christian community, it's really, really tempting to see ourselves as better than others. To see ourselves on a platform of, well, I haven't done that or committed those sins or walked that path, so I clearly am in a better standing with God. I'm good to go. But when we see ourselves as better than others, we are filled with all kinds of hatred for our brother. And not just our brother, like physically, those who belong to the same mother. No, even brothers from other mothers, those we're not actually blood related to, but our brothers in Christ, or you could say brothers and sisters, those of us who have been made new by Jesus. We are called to be our brother's keeper to bear with one another and to bear one another's burdens. John says, don't be like Cain, who in anger and hurt and malice went out and killed his brother. It's tempting even in the church to treat those who should love us or whom we should love the most with anger and malice and bitterness. I don't like the way you dress or the things you say or the fact that your life is all put together and mine is not or the other way around. You are too messy for me. I can't get messy with you. It's easy to see ourselves as better than our brothers and separate. But Christian community requires that all of that dies at the door. Every bit of separation that says I am greater or lesser, every bit of separation that says I should treat you differently dies when we enter into this place. And hopefully, it doesn't stop there. But it continues as we leave from here into our everyday life. That you and I see those around us 
as those who have been redeemed by Christ. Even those who don't yet know it. Those who are lost and far off and confused. Even those who are our enemies who hate God, who hate us, who hate the church. Even those are the ones who Christ has died to redeem. Love one another. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, it's really easy to love those who love you back. When, pre- when people bring you food, when you're hurting, it's really easy to say, you're great and I love you and I am thankful for you and we should be grateful. But can we love those who hurt us? Can we love those who have no desire to do good for us? See, that's where love really moves beyond a mutual exchange into genuine love. Because true and abiding love is not love that has expectations. If you give me this, then I'll give you that. No, true love is that which lays down its life for another. This is why Jesus multiple different times told his disciples that if anyone would follow after him, he must pick up his cross and deny himself. You must lay down your life in a humiliating, suffering way. Giving everything up for those who may or may not ever love you back. That's what Christian community looks like. We often want that in the church, but usually we want it from everybody else. I want you to care for me. And stepping into that place of saying, I'm going to care for you, even if you haven't cared for me, that is hard. And it requires us to die to ourself every day. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet does or yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Years ago in my Christian faith, I had an attitude that said those who are wealthy are inherently evil. Maybe you've had a similar attitude. I looked at people in the church who had money and I thought to myself, those who have money clearly don't care enough about the poor. They should give it all away and they should bless the poor in better ways and they're just selfish and greedy. And as it happens... If you're faithful with what God gives you, whether he gives you a lot or a little, it often multiplies. And over the years in my life, though I by no means am living a lavish lifestyle, I have certainly come to a place where I don't daily wonder where will I get food for today. And it's really comfortable going to Taco Bell and spending $12 and not thinking twice about it. If I go to Taco Bell and I spend $12 three or four times in the week, then my wife will think twice about it. But one time, that's, that's okay, right? And I've gotten to a place now where by no means am I living extravagant wealth, but I'm also certainly not poor. My first apartment cost me $350 a month in rent, and I could not believe at the time that anybody in this world could pay that kind of money. It also happened to be at that time that I saw everybody who had any kind of money and said, those people must be evil. Now, if I could pay $350 a month in rent, I might give my left arm for that, right? (laughs) It's easy, however, as we grow in comfort, as God provides for us in abundance, to begin to see others who don't have what we have as part of the problem. Well, if only they would get a job, if only they would work harder, if only they would do this, if only then and that. And it's really easy, even here in this neighborhood as a church, to look at our neighbors who are struggling and to see all the reasons why they should fix their mess and to turn a blind eye to their hurt and their pain because it simply doesn't fit 
with what's comfortable to me. I, I have to confess, this building has been a source of a lot of pain for me. Mostly emotional, not so much physical, a little bit of physical from time to time. But I have spent more hours than I can count cleaning up all sorts of waste on the front porch and all sorts of clothes and all sorts of food that was wasted because it was given out and then left behind. And I've spent all kinds of hours cleaning up all kinds of paraphernalia that is dangerous to all sorts of people and and having conversations with people on all sorts of substances who think it's okay to use those substances and to use them on our front porch. And I have found myself frustrated when my car gets keyed multiple times. And when I borrow a friend's car and that car gets keyed and I wonder it must be me that they're targeting. And I have found myself tempted to believe, well, can't they just fix that mess? Somebody else should take care of this problem. You see, it's easy when you're struggling to have much to see those who have anything as the problem. And when you have anything, it's easy to see those who don't as the problem. And John here, he writes, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now let me be really clear. I don't think it's healthy for every one of us to give every person who's in need of money money. Because sometimes money makes things worse. But it is healthy for every one of us to see every person who is in need as equally deserving of the love and the dignity and the respect that we have been given by Jesus. And perhaps what is needed is an ear to listen, a kind-hearted word to encourage, a resource just around the corner that we can point people to and direct them to and say, let me help you find what you need. And perhaps sometimes what is needed is to take the coat off your back and give it to someone who's cold. The money in your pocket to someone in need. There's not a right or wrong answer unless the answer is filled with malice and hate. Either direction. Those who have and those who have not, if we hate the other, we are like Cain. Willing to kill our brothers and not see what Christ has done in them. One of my favorite things about this building is a stained glass window that I'm certain was installed long before they ever knew what this neighborhood would become. Maybe you've seen it before, maybe you've not. Here it is, ready? It's right out there, you'll see it when you exit. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. From Proverbs chapter 22. Christian community recognizes that we are all, whether we have lots or nothing, whether our brokenness is visible or we're really good at hiding it, whether our sin is public or private, we all, no matter our stance and our position, have been made by God, have been redeemed by Christ, and have value and meaning today. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What does it look like for you and me to be the kind of community that loves with everything in us? that gives of our time and our energy and our hearts and our words, that gives when necessary and responsible of our finances, what does it look like for you and me to see those whom we interact with as redeemed by Christ? And then to invite them into that community that will love them in times of need that will provide them with meals when they're hungry and encouragement when they're tired and comfort when they mourn, that will provide them with whatever they need to see that God loves them. So do we. Another thing in that same book Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the person who loves their dream of community 
will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. See, it's tempting when we read these verses of loving one another and bearing with one another and giving to those in need. It's tempting to love an idealistic version of what community should be. And when we come to any church, be it this one or one down the street or across town or across the country, when we gather with Christians with our idealistic expectations in mind, at some point, I promise, they will let you down. And you will get hurt by the church. I promise. Because every one of us is equally broken and sinful. And capable of being like Cain, filled with hate and malice and bitterness and envy and strife and all sorts of things. But when you and I come to our Christian community, not with an ideal goal we're striving after, not with an expectation of what the church should be like or how they act or what they do or who they need to be for me. No, when we come to community, to one another, and we simply love each other, whether they're rich or poor, have it all together or are falling apart, when we simply love as Christ loves, setting everything aside, we will find true community a place where we belong and where we can be open and honest. And sometimes that open, honest belonging includes conversations we don't want to have about our hurts and our vulnerabilities we've been trying to hide, about our struggles that we need our brother to bear with us, about the things we cannot seem to shake and we need encouragement and help to change, to walk in this manner worthy of our calling. We as a community, as a body of believers, as Christians, need in all things to come before God who truly is God. See, it's tempting to believe that God is like this distant vending machine or this wealthy relative who every time we need something, we just go and he provides and he shows up in just the time of need, just the right way. It's tempting to see God as there to serve my every whim. But when we see the reality of our sin and our brokenness and just how much I need God not to provide for this or that, but simply to forgive, we can in turn begin to forgive as he has forgiven and love as he's loved. I tell you what, this last week for me was a real eye-opener in many ways. As someone who was in need and who was worn out and who was exhausted and who was stressed, as all of the things going on, I found myself this week needing to pray more than I usually do. And it wasn't God help me with my son or God fix this or God provide for that. Most of the time it was just give me enough strength to get through the next moment. I'm tired and there's not enough coffee in the world for this right moment here. Have you ever been there? I found myself often praying because in addition to all the things I had to cancel that I wanted to do and all the challenges of being a dad and all the struggles of a son who is sick and all the things, I found myself in some relational conflict with people I love dearly, trying to navigate how do I heal relationships that I don't know there's healing available for. How do I fix that which is broken with someone I love so dearly? And most of my prayer this week, over and over again, has simply been, God, I can't, but you can. I can't, so I need you too, whatever that thing is or was. I love this first quote I shared from Bonhoeffer. You see, the idea is if we want to be a community, it doesn't start with us opening up our wallets. It doesn't start with us opening up our homes. It doesn't even start with us cooking meals for one another. And all of those things are excellent, by the way. If we want to be a community that looks like Christ, that feels like Christ, that can be real and honest and open about our brokenness and our struggles like Christ, if we want to be that, it begins and ends in intercession, in prayer for one another. See, it is impossible to continue to hate somebody 
for whom you pray. It is impossible to remain angry indefinitely at the person who's hurt you if you pray for them over and over and over again. If we want to be the kind of community that connects those who are disconnected, that grows in our faith, it has to begin in prayer. Every day, all day long. What would it look like if we committed together to loving each other in such a way that we prayed by name for each other all the time? can no longer condemn or hate a brother for the trouble he causes me when I spend my day in prayer for him. Beginning next week, we're going to pick up a new practice of ours. Every year, we pick up two new practices, habits that we can begin to embrace that will transform the way we see one another, the way we love one another, the kind of people we are with Jesus. And this next practice, we're going to spend four weeks diving into. And for that matter, we could spend 52 weeks and still not scratch the surface. We're going to begin to learn together how do we as a church be people of prayer. How does prayer shape our every day that in our times of need we come before God and when things are great we come before God and when our brother has a burden that we don't know how to bear, we come before God and bear it with them there. That we as a church and as a people can love one another as Christ has loved us, giving whatever it costs for those who have been redeemed by Jesus. I hope that over the next several weeks, if this kind of community, one that bears one another's burdens and bears with one another's faults and sees not reason to condemn, but sees reason to rescue and save and love and restore, my hope is that if this is the kind of community you desire, that you will join me over these next several weeks in prayer. Praying for each other, Praying for those in your life who maybe have wronged you. Praying for those who you know are walking through all kinds of burdens, even if you don't know how to bear it with them in person. It's my hope that as we commit to being a people of prayer, we will see that this Jesus who gave everything for us is the one who intercedes on our behalf before the Father who has gone before us to prepare a way that we can be with God forevermore. And it's my hope that we, through prayer, become the kind of people who see our brother in need and do whatever it takes to love. Will you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, you call us to love one another as you have loved us. Lord, teach us today to die to ourselves, to set aside all of our need and our hurt and our burden, and to seek your face. Teach us to be a people who look past the, the rich or the poor, but instead who look to the maker who has made all of us. Teach us to see in our brother not their sin or their burdens, but your love your grace, your kindness, and your forgiveness. God, we pray that we would be a community that dies to our ideal vision of what this looks like and instead simply learns to love our brother in humility and in patience. May you be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the things I would like to do this week or this upcoming month as we practice loving our brother, anybody have one of those jars at home that just collects change and you forget about it for weeks or months on end or years even, and then someday you find it, you're like, where did this come from? I never use cash anymore. Anybody have that? Like, I, I literally don't use cash ever, really, and yet still we've got this bag of change that's somehow accumulated. If you have that in your house, 
or if you would like for the month of February to use cash, I want to try to do something, uh, something new to love our brothers differently in the month of February. My hope and my prayer is that over the course of the month of February, we can fill this entirely with change, and then I'm going to deliver it to the empty cup. If you're not familiar with the empty cup, the empty cup is a coffee shop that uses all of their profits and proceeds to bless foster parents and adoptive families who are actively trying to love children in need of a family. And I would love it if by the end of February or maybe even sooner, we have filled this with our change, that we can take this whole thing to the empty cup and say, we want to bless you to bless others. And with whatever that ends up being, whether it's quarters or pennies or however much is there, they can see the love of God in us and through us for the work that they're doing. So I want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks, if you're forgetful, maybe try it next week. Otherwise, you'll have four weeks in February to try to bring in whatever change you have that we together can fill this up and bless other families. Here at this church, we collect an offering every week as an opportunity to partner with God in the things he's doing. And so if you came prepared to give a gift today and you prefer to give with cash or check, or if you filled out one of those connect cards in front of you with a way that we can be praying for you and a way that we can encourage you, feel free to place that, that gift or that connect card in the uh, boxes that are on the wall as you exit. Uh, if you're somebody who prefers to do everything electronic today, you can make a gift online at thepointknox.com by clicking the little tool button in the bottom corner. You can also in that same place submit a way that we can be praying for you just like your connect card. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we invite your questions and I do my best to respond. Uh, sometimes people text me directly and then I get to uh, know who sent it in. Otherwise, they're all anonymous. So before you get to these, Steve, we had one that came to me directly and it was more a comment than a question. Uh, if you know this, or maybe you don't, we have this summer put together a directory of people here at the church. You can find that on our website, thepointknox.com. You can just search directory and you, it'll show up. Uh, if you would like to be praying for one another by name, uh, that can help you match names and faces with people that are here. And if you go and you look at the directory, you're like, I'm not in this directory, we would love to add you. That's why it's digital. We can do that at any point, all right? So let us know and we'll add you to that. Uh, what questions came in today, Steve? Okay. Is this working? Okay. How much time did Paul actually spend with Jesus? It's a great question. Uh, very little. In fact, his conversion happened after the ascension, but the reason he's counted as an apostle who had been with Jesus is Jesus shows up to him directly on a, on a road and says, why are you persecuting me? And in that direct interaction with Jesus, the church said, well, he obviously spent some time with Jesus. And he did spend, I think it was like 13 years with the disciples of Jesus after that point, with those who were leading the church in close proximity, learning from them and experiencing all that Jesus is and was through them. So directly in the flesh as Jesus walked this earth, not very much time, but a lot of time through his people after that. Uh-oh. Oh, there you go. All right. Okay. Uh, this is the final question. How do we as Christians find a balance between sacrificing for those around us and taking care of ourselves? There is not an easy answer to this uh, because there's not the same answer for everybody. Uh, I think when it comes to self-care, we have to recognize that you do no good to your brother in need if you also are in great need because you haven't been cared for. So it's important to do things like practice the Sabbath where we take time to rest so that we have energy for our brothers in need. It's important to do things like eating healthy or maybe healthier than Taco Bell three times a week. Uh, sorry, <laughs> too soon. Uh, it, it's important to do things like manage the resources God gives you well with a budget so that you can pay your rent, whether it's $350 a month or more. It's important to do things like that so that you're in a place to also give to others. With that said, we will never be able to take care of ourselves as well as we want to take care of ourselves if it doesn't along the way include caring for others. And so what I want to encourage you to do, if you're in a place of needing a lot of self-care and taking care of yourself right now, 
Find a community of people, maybe even people that currently drive you nuts, and start taking care of them in small ways. Like, don't commit all in to give everything right now. Just start with something. Because we find in the care of others, not only do we find people caring about us back, but there's something that actually changes us psychologically to have a greater strength to care for ourselves. So even if you're in a season that's mostly focused on you, find something right now you can do for others. And then pray that God gives you what you need to give more later, whether that's more time or energy or resources or whatever it looks like. Anything else? Uh, No, I think that is it. Thank you, Steve. Well, as always, you're always welcome to send your questions in even during the week. And if I see them between now and Wednesday, I'll do my best to respond on social media Wednesday afternoon. If not, I'll respond next week, Sunday, uh, to any questions you have between now and then. As you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.